Hello and welcome to the Indiana Energy Crossroads podcast. I'm your host, Tim Phelps, president of the Indiana Conservative Alliance for Energy. I'm Jonathan Cobb, the Indiana Land and Liberty Coalition's field operations director. This week, we're going to be talking to one of the nation's foremost experts on conservative energy policy. Each week, conservatives can turn to the Indiana Energy Crossroads podcast to learn about the latest in conservative policy, as well as what's going on in the Indiana energy landscape. In Indiana and across the country, many utilities are making the decision to shut down coal power plants as they transition to cleaner and cheaper fuel sources or other methods of generation. These coal plants are massive investments, and often there are huge debt obligations related to their construction or upgrades that remain on the balance sheet. This leaves utilities with a tough choice. Keep the expensive power plant running or stick ratepayers with the bill. In some states, and maybe in Indiana, there's another way, and that's securitization. Here today to talk about it is Landon Stevens, Policy Director for the Conservative Energy Network. Landon has a unique policy background in both the energy policy and political spheres. He comes to CEN from the Arizona Corporation Commission, where he served as a policy advisor for two different commissioners. In this role, Landon was responsible for advising commissioners and crafting and passing policy related to public utility services throughout the state. Landon was the principal author of the Arizona Energy Modernization Plan, which helped set the stage for Arizona's recent commitment to generate all electricity from clean sources by 2050. Stevens previously directed work at Strata, an academic think tank focusing on energy and environmental policy, and published work focusing on the developing nations and global climate agreements. He's also the director of policy for the Washington, D.C.-based Institute for Energy Research, conducting intensive research and analysis on the functions, operations, and government regulation of energy markets. So, Landon, thanks for being here. That's quite the biography. (laughs) Thanks, Tim. I'm glad you got through it. (laughs) Just barely. Um, Well, you know, this is kind of a wonky subject for something we've been covering, but I think it's something that we're going to see a lot more of in Indiana and maybe elsewhere across the country as more and more of these plants and these utilities are looking at shutting down plants. So let's start from the beginning. I mean, let's talk about the securitization. What does it mean and really why is it becoming a growing topic today? You know, Tim, just just as you were saying, around the country, you know, almost every state is having this discussion of what do we do with your fossil fuel generation uh, plants and where do we go moving forward into the future? And so as you mentioned, those are huge investments that have a 20, 30, 40, even 50 year lifespan. And so a lot of these utilities are carrying a lot of debt on those, uh, which ultimately usually has to be paid for by the ratepayer. So securitization offers one option for uh, essentially refinancing. Uh, it works a lot like a mortgage or student loan refinancing. So it lets utilities address the outstanding principal amount that they owe on the power plant uh, and the interest rate. And so if you do it right, um, it really can help utility customers save money while at the same time incentivizing utilities to transition away from coal or other fossil fuels and usually into you know, cleaner renewable sources. Okay, so that's interesting. So how can you explain, like, how is it reducing these energy costs? What, where is the savings achieved? Yeah, so usually these investor-owned utilities 
um, will raise money from shareholders or banks to for operations of these plants. And usually that's done at a, around eight or 9% interest rates. Um, and so when you go into a securitization, what you're doing is you're substituting those customer backed dollars or government backed dollars for equity and debt. And so you're able to go to the market and secure rates that are usually closer to three or 4%. Sometimes in, in today's markets, even as low as 2%. And so the, the results can be tens of millions of dollars in savings for, for ratepayers, which can help lower bills or be put to other uses. Okay. So I have a plant that I built for a billion dollars and I'm using the plant and everything's great. And at some point I decided, let's say my plant, I, you know, I'm generating power by burning tires. Okay. Yeah. I'm generating power by burning tires. And at some point someone says to me, Hey, you know what? That might not be like the best way to burn tires. Let's maybe, you know, change it to a solar panel, for instance. Uh, and, but I say, yeah, I mean, I'm interested in doing that. I don't have to burn tires all the time, but you know, I built this plant for a billion dollars and so far I've only paid off $900 million, but so I still owe the bank this hundred million dollars. So what do I do now? What do I do with that hundred million bucks? You know, in the old times before this, I might just say, well, I'm going to keep running. I'm going to keep burning tires or, you know, I would just send that bill to my ratepayers. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. And so, I mean, we see this all over the country. These exact same scenarios play out. And and we're talking numbers that are even much larger than this. You know, Duke Energy, for instance, in Florida, um, had $1.3 billion of assets uh, in a nuclear plant that they were closing. Um and then they were able to get these bonds at only a 2.7% interest rate. And so looking at their savings over 20 years, which is what they had left to pay on the nuclear plant, it was going to save customers $700 million. So we're talking about sizable reductions in bills here um, that customers don't have to pay that are now you know, going, going to the market essentially. So I'm saving money on the debt payments and presumably I'm saving money because I don't have to buy tires to burn anymore. You know, like, <laughs> exactly. you know, I'm saving on the actual new generation too. So, yeah. So this definitely sounds like something that Indiana could use. Uh, our energy is 59% coal generated right now. And a lot of our uh, coal plants are very antiquated, 60, 70, 80 years old. So I, I in what we've learned recently in the last few years is that over 74, 75% of uh, existing coal plants is actually cheaper to build new renewable energy uh, facilities like wind and solar farms than operating these existing antiquated coal plants right now. So are are there any examples of other states that are doing this? Uh, And how has that worked out for them? Yeah, like I said, a lot of of states are looking into this right now. um, And a lot have had these types of options on the books for a while. And so I, I, you know, I mentioned Florida with Duke energy. Um, but you know, we've seen it in West Virginia, Allegheny energy, uh, used ratepayer bonds to finance, um, $460 million. Um, not just for coal plants necessarily closing down, but in that sense, they used it for pollution control upgrades. Um, and then consumers energy in Michigan, uh, also got approval for 
about $400 million of bonds to um, recover their value on a coal plant that they shut down in 2006 or 2016, sorry. Um, and so other states recently, Colorado, New Mexico, a lot of states in the West, Arizona, where I'm from, we've looked into these options. And, and I think you're going to start seeing them more and more as that transition to renewables accelerates. I think that's a, I think, uh, John, you raised a good point and Landon, I think, brought it home. I think we are going to start seeing a lot more of this and, and even here in Indiana, and it may be premature to really talk about, but there is a bill before the Indiana General Assembly now, uh, Senate Bill 386, that was brought by State Senator Eric Cook, um, that's taking a look at this issue. Uh, we'll see you know, how it continues to move through the legislature, but it may be something that we could see here in Indiana. And with that in mind, Landon, I mean, Indiana, pretty conservative state. Obviously, we've got super majorities in both the House and the Senate. Really, you know, when it comes to energy policy, it's conservatives that are going to be getting it done here. Um, so, you know, what does a policy like this mean for conservatives? You know, what what's what's the conservative case for something like securitization? Well, I, I think it's important to note that, you know, securitization, it, it's not some silver bullet that solves all of the energy policy woes that we have out there, but it does help on the financial side to save customers money. Uh, on you know when we're talking about retiring assets that are no longer uh, viable, it, it can help in that sense. But I do want to point out that there should be a kind of a broader a broader discussion that needs to happen, um, looking at the structure of utility markets overall. The, the reason that we're even having these discussions about uh, retiring assets 20 years early and then forcing ratepayers to cover those costs is because of the way that we regulate utilities. And so in states like Indiana, where you have these essentially monopolies controlling the whole system, conservative lawmakers need to start having this discussion about what should the future of energy policy look like? Uh, and can we find ways to add competition and third-party investment into the system so we can avoid these costs altogether? Um, and so I think it's, it's part of the solution, but it's not, it's not the end-all, be-all. And we really want to help find ways to, to move this discussion forward as we transition to cleaner energy sources. And I think, Landon, you raise a good point there because – shutting down coal plants uh, and using securitization to maybe speed up that process is potentially a good thing for um, this movement towards more clean and renewable energy. But just as important part of that discussion is what are we going to replace it with? Mm -hmm. Uh, And uh, maybe that's part of that equation that you're talking about saying, okay, now that, now that we've decided uh, to achieve the savings through securitization, what's next? So what do you think comes after that? Yeah, well, I, I mean, ideally, we would love to let the markets decide what comes next and how, how we fill that gap uh, in terms of generation. And one one problem that we do see and a, a kind of a critique of securitization, if it's done incorrectly, is that some people worry that it gives utilities this feeling that they have a blank check to then, you know, kind of erase their bad bets in the past and then go out and make new bets that are going to, again, cost ratepayers money. And what we would rather see is that we, 
you know, shut down these coal assets that maybe aren't economic, um, but then transition into clean energy that is then owned by competitive generators and third-party companies. Yeah. So how do you think this will help speed up the transition to renewables at the local level? Well, I, I mean, at this point, it, it's just a simple question of market dynamics. I mean, nobody's really building new coal plants. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if if you are shutting down those types of assets, um, what are you going to replace it with? Mm-hmm. It's going to be the lowest cost energy um, options that are available. So you're going to have, you know, depending on where you are in the country, wind, solar, um, and more and more, you're even seeing that paired with storage solutions mm-hmm. so that we're optimizing the the system and the grid um, moving forward. Yeah, yeah, that, that makes sense. We're sort of seeing that already in the field in Indiana, in uh, Jasper County in northwest Indiana. They're trying to replace the Schaefer Generation Station, which is a massive part of their tax base. And to replace that, they're uh, in the permitting process of developing 700 megawatts of the Duns Bridge Solar Project there in Jasper County. Landon, uh, I just want to thank you for joining us today. I thought this was a, you know, a lot of times in this energy landscape, there's a lot of um, complicated subjects when you're dealing with uh, bonds and regulators and utilities. And, you know, I mean, really, the whole system is designed to help, uh, you know, I think keep law firms in business. And uh, yeah. you know, having you on today has really brought some light to this topic. I think we may be seeing more of it in Indiana. So uh, we really appreciate you joining us today. No problem. Thanks for having me, Tim. And that does it for today. Today's Indiana Energy Crossroads podcast. Uh, please pick us up next week as we continue to talk conservative energy policy in the Indiana energy landscape. Thank you.